I am really excited to be here with you guys tonight, and um, I'm, I feel blessed that I get to be the, your speaker for tonight, for just for tonight. I'll see you again on Sunday. But um, I, I, we've been praying um, for a while about the retreat, and then we, come up with, we came up with the theme for the retreat. We thought we had one, and then the Lord opened the doors for another one. And, um, and this is just seems like it really needs to be what we need to speak on this weekend. So I'm really excited. And um, I'm excited, and I'm uh, emotional. So if I cry, it's not because everything I'm saying. It's just because I'm looking at your beautiful faces, and I'm trying to just take it all in, you know what I want to remember. So, so anyways, tonight I want to talk to you about the famous words of Mordecai and how his statement for such a time as this um, had been demonstrated through him long before he ever spoke those words. Um, but, but just before I, I, I'm going to give us some back, the back story, because I have to bring you into where he is at and why he ended up saying the words that he says. But before I do, I do want to say that I am very excited to hear from Jackie, Angela, and Sam tomorrow. I'm, I'm very excited to hear how the Lord brings our messages together. So really be listening for how they all come together. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about that, and I'm really excited about being with all of you all this weekend as well. This is a very special time for me. I'm so glad to be here and um, spend this weekend with you. So with that said, now that I have that off my chest, um, the message of these words for such a time as this has had a great effect on people's lives throughout the ages and still has an effect on us today. And I think about all the hardships in my own life, the trials and the testings that the Lord has brought me through and allowed me to go through um, over the past 61 years that um, weren't for nothing. They were not for nothing. Um, each one had its own for such a time as this place in my life. Um, sometimes the hardships for, were, were for me alone to go through and learn from, but many times they would end up being for helping and encouraging and, and understanding others. And so I don't know if you guys have had those, those things in your life for such a time as this that you've gone through, you know, um, and maybe you're having a personal for such a time as this right now. You know, and I know that the church, the body of Christ is here for such a time as this. We are the body of Christ, and God knew that we needed to be here in this time right now. And so we're here for such a time as this. And then I think about, you know, also, how is it that we're going to stand in such a time as this? And I really think that, to me, this is the message for tonight, is that how are we going to stand? And I'm, I want you to hear it through Mordecai's life, because he... He is, he is an amazing godly man, and I want you to hear all that, all that he does, because he does, a, he does a, a lot of hard things in his life to bring about what ends up happening in the end. Um, so um, I, I just think, um, I think that the, the statement for such a time as this, it, it demands action. And, and that we need to hear, we need to learn what that action is. So um, just as Mordecai had his such a time as this, let's, we're going to look at what um, his time was, and hopefully it will apply to our lives. So, <laughs> so with all the questions that I just asked in our theme, I, I can't help think, to me, it was when I was asking those questions as I was writing them out, I couldn't help but think about the letter to Timothy, the letters that we just finished in Women's Bible Study, because it's very fresh. 
Um, we just finished Second uh, Timothy 2. And Paul had written two letters to encourage and exhort Timothy to stand up for Jesus, his truth, his gospel message in the face of great opposition from the false teachers, the myths that were floating around, and the persecutions that were on the rise. And Paul plainly said to Timothy, you will face persecution of some sort. Yeah, but let your faith, what you believe, be witnessed in your conduct while you face them. And we will see this, I believe, in Mordecai, through Mordecai and his faith. His faith was demonstrated in his conduct. And like Paul says to Timothy, that God will rescue you, Timothy, God is going to rescue a whole nation because Mordecai had courage to stand in the face of evil and he stood up for righteousness. And it's like Paul is saying, the time is now, stand up. Time is now to stand, because what if tomorrow is too late? And Mordecai, in essence, he is going to mirror these words um, when he says to Esther, who knows if you weren't put here for such a time as this? The time is now, he's telling her, what if tomorrow is too late? So today, we are living in a similar time that we find our characters from the book of Esther um, in, in here. And the circumstances that surround us really parallel a lot of the consequences as in Mort's day. And um, today, you know, you stand up for the truth today. You are, you are called a hater. You're closed-minded. You're racist. You're a bigot. And I even heard uh, a little blip that, that somebody said, uh, we'd be better off without those Bible-believing Christians. So we, we know that we are under persecution in some way. So many, many people you know, have suffered the loss, losses because of their belief in Jesus from friendships and families, and others have even given up their lives for the sake of the gospel. And we, we know that from around the world. I mean, the people in China, the underground church, they've lost their lives for their belief in Jesus Christ. We see that in the Middle East. There are many coming to Christ and they have lost their lives. So as our story opens here in the book of Esther, we find that the Persian king, um, Exerces, or Ashuharis, however you say his name, whatever it is in your Bible, they're the same guy, um, <laughs> celebrating his greatness with the leaders of the Persian Empire. He already has banished his first queen because she wouldn't come when he called for her. Chapter one tells us that he was, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna give you the background to, to bring us to our verses for, as we go through. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do a speed view kind of through the first, second, and third chapters of the book of Esther. So bear with me. Um, so in the first, the first chapter tells us that he was drunk, he was full of himself, and that combination, more times than not, will always make you stupid. So, I mean, I can, I just, just saying what, what, I've, I've, what I've witnessed. So Exerces, he has this banquet, they, they, it says in some versions, and party in another. So I think it's probably both. There was banquet eating and party drinking, Okay. So for 180 days, six months, they did this. It, and it was to display his vast wealth that he had um, with all the pomp and circumstance that, that went with it. And in, he was in the citadel of Susa, which is where his winter home was. 
So, and that is actually located today. I looked that up in, in Iran, in the mountains of Iran. So he was, he, that, there he was. Well, in conjunction to the king's banquet, um, Queen Vashti was also giving a banquet for the women. So, and at the end of this 180 day party, there was another party started for seven more days. And it was given um, for the local people from the least to the greatest, and it was given inside of the king's garden. And um, so um, it was said, someone said this, that it could be to show his appreciation for all their hard work preparing the city for his grand show of power and glory. Could have been. But even if that were the case, Exerces is still saying, it's all about me. Look at how grand I am, how wonderful I am. Look at my generosity. And I say that's vainglory. What vainglory? And in verse 7, it, it, I, just, I just want to read this portion to you. It says, wine was served in goblets of gold. Now that's opulent already. But each one was different from the other. So not one was alike. They were all specially tea made. And, you know, even though I thought, oh, that's a lot of vainglory there. But then I did think there was a good thing with that because then you would know which cup was yours. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of people there and you really don't want to have anybody else drinking out of your cup. So I thought that might be a good thing. But, but anyway, the, the royal banquet, the, was, the wine was abundant in keeping with the king's generosity. And by the king's own command, each guest was, follow, was allowed or given a license to drink as much as they desired. Um, now, this part is not about whether you drink or not, so I'm just giving you what the background is here. So, in fact, here, um, he told uh, the servants that there wasn't um, to be any limit. It was limitless. Um, seems generous on the face of it, but what he is really saying is if you drink to excess, it's your own fault. I'm not going to take any responsibility for you. And... Um, it's really like a pretense of, it's really not my concern. But this kind of license that the king allows himself to be a part of <laughs> will, in the end, will in the end change his life forever. So at the end of the seven days this, of this party, this last party, the king was in high spirits of, with wine, the Bible says that. And to me, that's a nice way of saying he was a loud, happy drunk. So a loud, happy drunk, you don't always make the greatest decisions. Um, he decided to make the decision to have his queen um, be brought over in her royal attire and her royal crown to show her beauty off um, for the pleasure-seeking people and nobles who were there. So he's, he wants to show her off. Um, seems good on the surface, but not really. It was inappropriate, really. Well, as the story goes, she refuses and he is furious and is burning with anger because she won't come. So they, to me, I look at both of them and they're both totally full of themselves. You know, she won't come and be obedient and he's asking something that's actually ridiculous. So they're just both totally full of themselves. So um, this, this fire that burned in the king caused him to react without any future thought. You know, he just reacted. So in, his, in this erupted state, an advisory council was immediately brought together and they were summoned and brought together and Vashti was degraded 
unseated and banished. And a decree, a decree, I mean, all the way, goes to a decree that was issued that every man would bear rule over his own home. They sent it throughout all, everywhere, the whole province, all the province and the local, you know, that this is what it was. So she was banished. She didn't have children. She just never saw the king again. So, and then the idea that they gave him was that she, he would find another queen. So a search commenced and throughout the empire for young, beautiful virgins to be brought back to the king's harem and given beauty treatments. Now, you know, that probably interests us because we're women. We like to have beauty treatments, right? So I, and I thought about this. I thought, well, didn't they look for young, beautiful virgins and they know they were already beautiful? But I realized that they needed to have their appearance and more than likely their body odor needed to come up to the king's standards. Because, you know, you're looking around and they're field workers. They, they work with the goats. They're probably in the barn. So needed to just have that little bit brought up to the king's standards. Because yeah, he never worked a day in his life, so he probably doesn't like the smell of hay. You know, <laughs> who knows? But, <laughs> but the, one, the one that would please the king would be crowned queen in Vashti's place. So the king liked the plan, and it was executed. And this is how Esther enters our story. So Esther is the cousin and adopted daughter of Mordecai. And I'm going to call him Mort throughout the rest of this whole thing. Because I, to me, he's like Uncle Mort, you know? So he enters our story. Um, she found favor with the king, and, and he crowns her queen. So I just want to give you just a little bit of a note here, because I don't want to pass over it, because it's really important. So Mort directed Esther not to reveal her nationality to anyone, not even the king. So the reason, I believe, and a lot of com all the commentators I read um, was that Mort didn't want her to jeopardize her life because her life could have been in jeopardy to, to let them, him know her, her nationality and possibly for her future life as well. She could have a future li wife, life if she became queen. So she kept silent. Um, and Jews, they were, they were unfavorable in the Gentile world. So, um, so we see that God already here has begun his purpose and plan. It's already set into motion. So Mort, um, he, he, Mort's love and care and heart to protect Esther to me is so evident and, respects, and she respects and honors him and shows him great respect by taking his wife's advice. So she's a smart girl. She's a smart girl. So she takes his advice and does that even in the custody of the palace. So here she is. She's, she, they don't know. She's been crowned queen. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that every day Mort would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about, how, about Esther and what was happening to her. Now, in verse 18, it lets us know that Mort had become a palace official. And the reason why I tell you that, because if you're anything like me, I'd be like, well, how did he get so close to the, kingdom, to the palace, you know, that he got past those gates? Well, it's because he was an official, so he was allowed to be in there. So he could, he could walk by the harem's area and find out how she was doing. So then we go down to verse 20, 21, and we learn that, that what kind of a guy Mort is. And I think this is really important. So one day, as Mort was on duty at the king's gate, two of his, the king's eunuchs that stood guard at the king's private quarters uh, became angry at the king and plotted to assassinate him. Uh, but Mort heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther, and she told the king about it and, and gave 
Mort credit. An investigation was made and Mort's story was found out to be true. The two men were impaled on a sharpened pole and this was recorded into the history books of King Xerxes' reigns. So it, it was recorded so it could be read later, okay? Well, to me, this shows that Mort is a man of great character. Um, he, is, he is consistent in his motives and his moral qualities, and he is others-minded. I mean, he's thinking about other people. Well, after saving the king, I was thinking about this, after saving the king um, and having it recorded in the history books, you would think that Mort, Mort had it made. You know, he could be given a free pass to do whatever he wanted to, anything. He could go and do anything. And this, that, that, this is not going to be forgotten for a long time. But it was. It was forgotten. And that's where we come into chapter 3. Our story now jumps some years. And Mord is still working at the palace, where with, somewhere within this duration of time, an up-and-coming guy enters the scene. The king liked this guy so much that he promoted him over all of the other nobles, and which made him the most powerful official in the empire, second only to the king. And his name was Haman. Haman, oh Haman. This guy was full of himself, and he leads, he, he goes down the road that is hate-filled, and it, it's the road towards destruction. Chapter t 3, verse 2 tells us that all the king's servants who were at the king's gate, they would prostrate themselves before this powerful favorite. And they would just lay before him, bow before him. Now Mort, who is not his trained servant, but a God-fearing Jew, will not prostrate himself. Though expressions of strong disapproval are spoken to Mort about this situation, that he's not prostrating himself before this, this guy Haman, he still will not conform. The matter now is brought to Haman's attention um, for whose offended dignity Mort is too small of a sacrifice. The whole Jewish people must die because he found out what his nationality was, and he said, well, he's not enough, so I'm going to kill the whole Jewish nation. So his plan, he devised a plan, and he set a date. And you know what? I honestly thought about this. I thought Mort could see right through this guy. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't going to bow to any man at all. And, you know, it made me think about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, they wanted him to bow to a statue, and he, they wouldn't do it. So they got thrown into the fiery furnace, and who was in there with them but Jesus? Walking around, just talking in the fiery furnace. They were rescued. So they wouldn't bow to any, any statue. Mort, I'm sure, thinks about all of this. He's not going to bow to anyone but God. So Haman um, got the king on board. Um, with a few lies and a bribe, and the plan was a go. The Jews everywhere were to be annihilated. With the king's blessing and his signet ring to seal it, the deal's done. A date was set, and the decree was sent and read to the entire empire and in the local city that the king was living in, in Susa. So what did the king do? 
while this was causing chaos in the empire. <laughs> Did he wonder, what's going on out there in Susa that everybody's all upset about? Nope. Him and Haman sat down and had a drink and visited. When all the confusion was happening all over his empire. Now, Haman, I just think, you know, what a guy. Wow, he's prideful. He has a lying tongue. He wants to shed innocent blood. Has a heart that devises wicked plans. Runs towards evil. He's a false witness who speaks evil and sows discord. He loves himself. He loves power and boasts all the time. And you know, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it ends with God saying that God hates these things. He hates this. And then there's the king. You know, if I had a lot of time to talk about the king, I would have a lot to say. But I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, but what I will say is the king seems to not have any sense of discernment at all. None. And with Haman, really, why should he? After all, his best friend had his best interest in mind, right? By making this decree, Haman has made the king an assassin and a hired killer. And that is without the king even really knowing what is going on himself. Well, Mort learned all that had been done when Mort learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. I, to me, I'm thinking, this is a man of courage. This is a man of courage. He did not run. He didn't hide. He didn't just lay down and moan and put the covers over his head. He took it out to the streets. He, led the, he, led, he was leading with um, the proper response to an unjust action, not to riot, but to cry out for the injustice put upon an entire nation of people. He not only vented his grief, but proclaimed it, that all might take notice of, of, of it, that he was not ashamed to call himself a friend of the Jews and a fellow sufferer with them, says Matthew Henry. To me, this is love. Love is his motivator. Unlike we saw in 2020, a protest turned into a riot because love wasn't the motivation. It was like a bunch of little Hamans running around rampant. And we see the heart of this continuing in our country, all over many cities and all over the world. Love must be the motivator when stepping out to take a stand, even in the hard and difficult stands that we have to take from unjust, against unjust actions. Love must be the motivator. Verse four tells us that Mort is in sackcloth and ashes um, and he couldn't go any further than the king's gate. No one was allowed in, clothed in sackcloth and ashes in the king's gate. Us, what we saw across the world, that's what it was. It was across the known world, weeping, wailing, and laying in sackcloth and ashes. And to me, when I think about this, I see something like 9-11 when the towers came down. Panic, weeping, shock, chaos everywhere. 
I mean, golly, it would be so hard to, to see that. And how can he hear that? And then laying on sackcloth and wearing sackcloth and laying on ashes, um, it was as if the people were saying, we have nothing more to do. We're already in the grave. And Esther, where was Esther? Well, she was so removed from the day-to-day -day life in Susa that she had to be told about Mort's mourning. Upon hearing this, she sent him clothes to change out of the sackcloth that he would not accept. He would not accept the clothes. Mort said, was like, he says, I'm not going to have that because this situation is dire. We're in a dire situation here. And Esther, was a, she was aware of what sackcloth meant. She knew what it meant. This is an emotional response to her adopted father's grief. And I believe it's, it's more of a, let me help you. Um, change your clothes. Come in so I can take care of you and comfort you. Because you can't wear that into, into the palace. Um, and, you know, for me, I think, uh, to me, I, I look at that and I'm like, I, I don't know. When someone that I love is hurting, I want to take the hurt away and bring them comfort. So bad. I read something that said, we can easily make the mistake of jumping in too quickly to protect loved ones from trials rather than first finding out what God has in mind. And you know, I'm like, oh, that hit me so, because I'm a perpetrator of that. So I, I, I react first and think later so many times. I have learned over the years that my natural protective instincts get in the way sometimes of God's purposes. I find having my own trials are hard enough, but when my children go through hard trials, I can hardly bear it sometimes because I can't fix it. I cannot give them the answers and I cannot take it away. But what I've learned is that they are just as much God's as I am. And won't he work his plan for their lives just as profitable as he has mine? He will, he will, he will. So now, because Mort refuses the clothing, Esther sent her trusted attendant to find out why and what was really going on here. And verses uh, 7 through uh, 12 in chapter 4 gives us the interaction between Esther and Mort. And it says that Mort told the attendant everything about Haman's bribe for the destruction of the Jews. Giving him a copy of the edict, he asked him to explain everything to Esther and to ask her to go into the king and beg for mercy and to plea with him for her people. Esther sent back this reply, the king hasn't asked for me for 30 days, and if I go without being summoned, I will die unless he holds out his golden scepter to save my life. Well, the message that was brought back from Mort definitely struck fear in Esther. You can hear it in her reply. She's saying, I can't. I too am a victim. I feel bad this is happening. But 30 days is a long time, and death is on the line for me. You know, rejection and fear can be a great stifler and a great motivator for us to do nothing. And I think it could possibly be a knee-jerk reaction. And haven't we all have those? 
Your emotions strike and they grip you with fear, anger, hurt, and your mouth speaks before you think, pray, or even seek advice. I'd like to think that I would just act, you know? My dad's asking me to do something, I would, and I know it's right. I would just act. But you know what I must, I have to tell you, I, I admit that I, I'm a knee-jerk reaction kind of person. That could be my go-to a lot of the time. I, I get to thinking Doug's upset with me or that I did something wrong if he just leaves the house without saying goodbye. You know, oh, you know. So, but Esther's talking 30 days since the king spent time with her. 30 days. If Doug didn't said goodbye and I didn't see him for 30 days, man, I'd know there was something wrong. <laughs> I'd be calling him on the phone, like, over and over until he talked to me. But so, so I can easily understand and imagine, I can imagine and make up a lot of things in that amount of time. I could. So, um, and then she not only had that thought in her mind, but she also had the fact that the previous queen was disobedient, lacking in respect and honor for the king. And look what happened to her. So I don't want to necessarily throw Esther completely under the bus. You know, self-preservation came first, and it's a powerful motivator. You know, and I have to say, it would probably be my reaction first, too. I'm, I'm like, I'm with her, like, you know, wait a minute, I could, I could die. Death is on the line here, you know, so I can understand where she's at. But you know what? She didn't remain there. She didn't remain in that state. She sends her attendant back out to find out what her true advisor's advice was the advisor of her heart and of spiritual things, not the advisor of her outward beauty. She had a lot, she had that already when going through the beauty treatments. She had a guy that was taking care of her, making her smell good, look gorgeous, helped her pick out what she was gonna wear when she went in to see the king. But this is the advisor of the heart. So she sends him back out to see what Mort has to say. You know what, Mort's refusal of clothing restrained and saved, saved Esther from a hasty emotional response. He helped rescue her from herself. Oh man, I'm so glad when people rescue me from me. You know, I can tell you, Doug has rescued me from me an awful lot of times and it's been, it was a good thing. Aren't you glad when people rescue you from yourself that before you go and do something that you shouldn't? So listen to Mort's exhortive words of, of wisdom in his reply in verse 13. He says, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. Mort's saying, Do you really think this won't find you? Wake up. You're a Jew. Even the lizards are found in the king's palace, says Proverbs 30:28. And then he goes on in verse 14. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. Silence will not keep this out of the palace, daughter. The palace cannot protect you. This is coming for you. God is giving you the opportunity here of being the instrument of saving people. And if you fail to do so, God will use someone else and you will be destroyed. Take the covers off of your head. 
and get out of bed and wake up. That's good advice. But then he says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And there's his famous words. Mort, man of great character, godly character, and he has the heart the size of Texas. I mean, it was big. It was for everyone. But here within these words that he speaks to Esther, that he sends back to her, there is a what if question that is crucial for us to see. For when this what if really hits Esther, the lights suddenly come on, like, oh. Mort's strong encouragement pushes her to think back on all that has happened since she came to the palace. Think back. He says, daughter, what if you were brought to this place for this purpose? What, daughter, what if you were brought, what if God gave you favor with the king? What if your beauty and charm were directed by God? What if your allure for the king and God was God ordained for such a time as this? Mort has brought a greater purpose to light for her. Think again, daughter, he's saying. This life you are living started with favor, was directed and ordained by God's hand of providence. God is doing this. He is the one that is on the move here. He's on the move for you to save your people. Can't you see the writing on the wall? He's telling her, the day of destruction, that will come. And if you, if you haven't told the king that you are also a Jew, there will be nothing he can do. Time will have run out. And it would be a death, death situation if left to the last day. Mort knew there would not be enough time to set a new plan in motion if she waited, and the king would lose another queen to his own foolishness. You know, we, we saw a decree cannot be revoked. Vashti was never seen again. She was banished. Life is at stake here. Mort is also trying to save Esther's life. You know, I, I feel this today for those that I love who don't know Jesus. <laughs> Their lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. Here, Esther was a solution to the decree against Vashti. She now has a choice to follow in Vashti's footsteps into with rebellious, oh, disobedient, unsubmissive, it's all about me, covers over her head heart, or walk in courage like Mort and submit to the truth and see what God can do. You know, fear can overwhelm us and grip us, but fear is overcome by the truth of Jesus Christ. I've experienced that in my own life, haven't you? Can you remember that? But you know what? When the truth is brought down from here to here, <laughs> fear is gone. 
It's like when you know the truth is not just here, but it is here, fear is gone. And that's when we settle that God is with us, no matter what comes. Mort understood, he totally understood the ramifications if Esther didn't act right now. Mort had experienced his own such a time as this, and more than once, matter of fact, and I'm, I can't go into them all, but I'm going to point out a couple of them that I want you to see, because he had two significant times that he, can, he experienced this such a time as this, and it was before he even said these words to Esther. We see his character in action before this, and both took courage to act, because he knew if he didn't act that tomorrow would be too late. So the first time was when Esther's parents died, leaving her a homeless orphan. Mort didn't just take her in like, oh, I'll take care of you, you know, nice little girl. No, he adopted her and loved her as his own child. He is a man of mercy and courage and compassion and care and love. The second was after Esther became queen, when he overheard the king's guys plotting to kill him, plotting to kill the king. Now, you could say that this was, he was just in the right place at the right time. But was he? Was he? This wasn't a coincidence. This was God's hand of providence. Mort was a man of integrity and courage. So he isn't without understanding about the what-ifs. He's lived his own. He gets standing up and stepping in for such a time as becoming an adopted parent's parent, for such a time as saving someone's life from an evil plotted against them. He's saying, we're in this together, daughter, for such a time as this. We're in this together. I was out here for such a time, and you are in the palace for such a time. But there's also more to Mort's statement. So listen to it again carefully. It says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Who knows? Not a who knows, you know. Who knows you weren't here for such a time as this? It's a who knows? Who knows? It's not vague to Mort. He's experienced it. Mort's life has exemplified knowing the scriptures and God's commandments. He's a Jew. He grew up knowing the scriptures and his commandments. And you see that he lives this way, and he, it, he lives it out in his life. He lives out Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, I think, describes him great. It says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinance, and his commandments. And you know what one of the commandments is? To love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your neighbor? Everybody that's not you. That's your neighbor. Everyone who's not you. Mort wasn't without knowledge of Abraham, Moses, Israel, Joshua, and Gideon, that God rescued them from dire situations. He knows that God knows. We do linger on the statement for such a time as this a lot that the who can almost get overlooked. But it's in the who that knows. It's God that knows, for he is the who. God knows 
where you're at right now. He knows what you're facing right now. He knows what you're going to face tomorrow. He knows every tear you've cried and every tear that you will cry. He knows every loss you've suffered, every trial and temptation you face. He knows our ups and downs and our ins and outs. He knows the answer to the what ifs in our lives. What if all that you're going through right now is for a time to come? Or maybe it's for today. Will you trust him with a plan and purpose for you? I want you to be comforted that God knows. That should bring us great comfort. God knows. He put you here for such a time as this to work his plan and his purpose in you that he, would de- he could demonstrate his greatness, his holiness, and his glory through you. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth and formed you in your mother's womb (laughs) wants to show his glory through you. How amazing is that? The time we're living in right now, it's God's. He knows our every time, our every day, our every hour, our every minute, our every second, our every moment, and even our every breath. God knows. Mort's courage, his love, his compassion, his wisdom woke Esther up to act. And we know Esther was at peace if she was to lose her life for the sake of others. As she says in verse 16, if I perish, I perish. You know, ladies... We've been living in the last days since we were born. (laughs) We never truly knew what tomorrow would hold. We never knew. The time is now to surrender to Jesus, to stand for the truth of the word of God. Not your own truth, but the truth of who Jesus is. Because what if tomorrow is too late? These last two years have been, we have been in a season of change (laughs) in our country and across the world. Our church is getting ready for a a big change. My personal life has gone through and is gonna go through a huge change. (laughs) Therefore, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. Remain united in the word of God. It holds the truth. Love the gospel message every day because it holds the life of Jesus in there that gives us life. It's what gives me my life. He is my life. And the Bible tells me all about him. I can get to know him. Love others. We are each, when we love others, we are each other's sharpening agent. That's what it says. The word that we're, we're to sharpen each other. We're the sharpening agent for one another. If we're in the word and any differences arise between us, they'll soon be thwarted by the truth to love others as yourself. 
Esther overcame her fear with the truth from Mort, and that united them in purpose. What is the Lord speaking to you? What has he been speaking to you? I encourage you, if you're not sure what he's speaking to you, to look back at all the places the Lord's hand of providence has been at work in your life. Be encouraged by them so that you'll stand up and do the next thing and take the next step. Because you know, Mort, he didn't know that he would be an adopted father until it happened. He didn't know that his daughter would grow up to become the queen. He didn't know that he would be an official that would thwart the murderous, a murderous plot. He didn't know that he, he'd have to exhort his daughter to act. He didn't know that the king would honor him. You have to read chapter 6. I'm telling you, it is so funny. Every time I read it, I laugh so hard because I, I just picture it in my mind. And so he didn't know that he would be given the king's signet ring and that the power that comes with it to write a new decree that would save his people. He didn't know that he would be dressed in royal attire. He didn't know that he would become great in the king's palace. He did not know that he would be famous throughout the provinces. He didn't know that he, could grow, he would grow more powerful. He didn't know that the king would end up loving his daughter so deeply and, ex, and ex, uh, respecting her so greatly. He didn't know that he would work alongside his daughter for the sake of others. He didn't know that he would be second in power next to the king. He didn't know that he would become great to the Jews. He didn't know that he would be able to speak good for his people and peace to all of his countrymen. He didn't know. But what he did know, he acted on. He knew that there was one person who could intervene in this circumstance. He knew that he was outside of the palace and that she was inside of the palace. He knew that Esther was the only one who had access to the heart of the empire. Only one. And isn't that what God is after in us? He is after the heart of our empire. After our heart, that's what he's after. When he has our heart, when God has our heart, obedience is comforting and surrender is rest. Man, when I've just surrendered to the will of God, whew, the rest that comes over me, it's like all that stuff that I lay in bed at night, having anxiety over, is gone. How do we know God's heart for us and his will for our lives? In the word. That's where you'll hear his voice, know his great love, see his heart for you, learn his compassion, be given his mercy, understand his grace, and find protection in his will for you. His will is what protects you from you. When you do his will, it protects you from your will and doing the wrong thing. Without it, you'll just end up living on assumption of your own thinking. <laughs> and that's never going to be good, and it won't lead you into fruitfulness. Ladies, I... I exhort you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you through the word of God. So when you're such a time as this comes, you are ready. You're ready to know what to do and how to do it. 
just as Mort did. And I hope you follow his example because this is what I know. Whether you have had your such as time as this already, you better get ready because another one is coming and it may already be here. You better get ready. Jesus said in Luke 17, 33, those who love their lives, lose them. Those that are prepared to forfeit them, keep them. Keep them for eternity. I, if you have fallen asleep in your relationship with Christ, wake up. Wake up. The time is now. Tomorrow may be too late. Wake up. Stand up when God asks you. And know, know that fear will try to stifle you. But truth will overcome and win if you lean on and into the who knows all of your what ifs. Look at how God, his purpose, his plan, overruled all of Haman's plans. Will he not do the same for you? Do you believe he will do the same for you? He will. He will. He will do the same for you. My hope this weekend is that you will be encouraged to do what it takes to have the same character as Mort, to be a woman of great courage, mercy, compassion, grace, integrity, and love, that you would, be, that you would encourage the Esters in your life to take the next step. We're meant to be encouragers to one another. You know, there, there are people in your life that God's asking you to encourage. And sometimes it's to say hard things to them, to exhort them. But when love is the motivator, you'll be able to say them with the love of Christ and win them. Because I believe, <laughs> and I've prayed for you guys as I've prepared. And I believe that God wants to do something so special in each of you and with each of you. It could be great, it could be small, but God has something special he wants to do with each one of you. I truly believe that. So, and I believe it's for such a time as what we're in, where we're at and where our world is going. God wants us to stand for him. Our lives, if we are surrendered to Christ, shouldn't we stand for Christ? You know, I think about all the songs. I always think uh, when we sing songs in worship and it, we're saying, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to trust you, you know, we're going to dance around, we're going to, you know, all the songs we're clapping in, and we're raising our hands, and yeah, that, those words mean something to me. Do they? You know, it's like, they, if they mean something to you, live them, you know? We've got to live them because the world needs the light of Christ. For such a time as this, the world needs the light of Christ. And this room is lit, totally lit. We got you. The world has you. Stand up and ask the Lord, what is it that you want to do in my life? I want to be your servant. You want to sing that song? I want to be your servant. You want to sing, I trust you, Lord? Mean it, really mean it. Allow it to really speak to your heart. You know, isn't that why we cry sometimes? Because it just so ministers to us what those words are saying. You know, he's asking us to stand up for him, stand up for the truth. Love the word. 
let Jesus move in your life. You know, I don't, I don't know all y'all here and where your life stands with Christ, but I, I do know that he wants to know you. He wants to heal you. He wants to pour, ooh, he wants to pour out his, arm, his, his love to you and wrap his arms around you. And you know, when, when I go to the Lord, when I, when I come to the Lord and I am hurting, he always comforts me. And, and there are times that it seems like the comfort's not there and I go back to him and he comforts me once again and again and again. Today is a day for salvation, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is the day. You receive him tonight. If you don't know the Lord tonight, come to Jesus. His arms are open. They're waiting for you. They have been waiting for you. They're tirelessly waiting for you. And I promise you, your weekend will be amazing. Amazing. You will hear like you've never heard before. You will have the Spirit of God in you, just speaking to you, and you, your, your mind will be blown over what you hear from him, from the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, now is the time. Tomorrow could be too late. So with that, let's pray. And if you don't know the Lord and you want to know the Lord, you can come and talk to me, because uh, I would love to pray with you. So... Lord Jesus, tonight, I thank you for, I thank you for your heart for us, Lord. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for this, for Mordecai's life, that we can see that he is a man of God, a man of character, a man that has, is a man of integrity, a man that knows the truth of God's word, a man who loves beyond um, anything that he can do. It's, it's your heart that was put into him. And I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that we would be ready to hear what you have for us this weekend, God, as we, um, this is our beginning. And I pray that we've been stirred up to think of great and mighty things that God will do and can do in our lives if we just open our hands and allow him to do his work in us. So God, I pray that we would just do that. I pray that we would open our hands, that we would receive from you and you would fill us with your spirit, and that we would not leave this place unchanged. So, Lord, I lift this up to you, because <laughs> I, I don't know what more to say, because you are so wonderful and awesome. So I thank you, God, and I praise you. I pray a blessing upon all these ladies who are here, Lord, that you would bless them and minister to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs>